Hello, 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 and welcome back to the SLP Corner podcast. Lindsay Nataki is back. She is a preschool SLP based out of LA. I had her on for a parent coaching episode, and I wanted to have her back on to talk about assessment for bilingual preschoolers. So with that, welcome back to the podcast. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks for having me again. Happy to talk more about this. We kind of talked a little bit before we started recording, and we just talked about the fact that this is something we're both learning more about, and we both find to be... I mean, I find it very interesting. I actually like, I loved my bilingualism classes in undergrad and in my master's program. It was like my favorite, but it's definitely an area that I find challenging and more complicated when I'm working. First of all, I just want to start with like, what percent of your caseload would you say is bilingual? I would probably say 70%. I mean, I'm pretty sure mine's like over 80% is bilingual. So that's, those are both big percentages. And Mm -hmm. you're in LA, I'm in Vancouver. So of course that might be different if you're in more rural area, but when almost your entire caseload's bilingual, like, yeah, it's so hard. And then they're like, it's all these different languages. Like there's Chinese, there's Telugu, there's Tagalog, there's Japanese, there's Spanish. The resources in Spanish are really good. And we have a, um, we have an SLP who speaks Spanish. So she's able to assess, but then when it comes to the other languages, assessment is so hard. I know like Asha has a really good phonetic inventory, but what's hard at the preschool level is, is the sound acquisition and when the sounds come in and when we can justify that it's a delay in their first language compared to like, these are just all the sounds in the language. It's so tough. Here. Okay. So what, what do you think are some of the reasons why assessment might be more complex for preschoolers who are bilingual? It's so hard because when you're testing in the second language and the child's not strong in it or might not be comfortable with you enough, um, then they're not showing they're not showing whether it's a difference or a delay. And when they're coming in at three years old and we know that like for language mastery, they need to be immersed in a language for at least five. They're not even in that level where we can even say certainly that it's a difference versus disorder. And yet by law, we have to assess this kid and determine whether they qualify for special education services, which is like a huge label. It's just like a lot of, I feel like a lot of responsibility in one snapshot of a moment and you don't want to get it wrong, but then the parents usually come in with concerns and they're like, in both languages, the baby's not, you know, the child's not communicating or isn't, they're not saying two to three word phrases, but then in a lot of Asian cultures, just culturally, sometimes children won't like match up with the language milestones that are the same in English. So, so then it's like find like digging through all the resources we have for every single language and like accurate research to make sure that we identify this child correctly. It's like Mm -hmm. a lot of responsibility, you know? It is actually. Yes. (laughs) I find that to be a lot of pressure. (laughs) A lot of the other thing is so many of the standardized tests, they aren't normed on bilingual children. And so in the back, in, when, in the manual, they'll share like, these are some phonological patterns you might see, or these are some language differences you might see. But at the same time, I'm so hesitant to use those scores when I'm describing a child who's bilingual, yeah. because it's not really fair when it's not normed on yeah. a child who speaks that language. That's exactly right. I don't feel comfortable using that either. And so what we typically do when the kids come in at three years old is we typically qualify them because we're like, I don't know, like we go off of 
what the parents reporting and for preschoolers and early intervention parent reporting is a huge part of the assessment so that does carry a lot of weight but yeah to find like solid standard scores like we for our bilingual kiddos like we just can't and then if they're simultaneous versus sequential you know like what percentage are they being exposed to both languages mm -hmm. um all of that comes into play I think personality has a huge thing too. Um, I have a I have a kiddo right now who I swear it's just the language difference. He's half Caucasian and half Asian and half Japanese, but so he speaks both pretty 50-50, I think. I swear it's just a language difference, but he doesn't test well. <laughs> you know, so like he just like won't produce like words. So it might also be a personality thing where he's really shy or maybe a little bit anxiety that also affects our kiddos when we test him. Yeah, it definitely does. My, I had, um, which I put in the description of this podcast, two episodes, or maybe I did three episodes with my prof at, with him in my master's program, who she did all the classes on bilingualism. And she really talked a lot about how personality can make a huge difference on a child. Even the littlest children, it can make a huge difference. Yeah. And I mean, we even see that with monolingual children, just personality can make a big difference in the things that show up and the things that we see. Another challenge that comes along with this often, at least that I've seen, is where it's really tricky. It's tricky because the parents are also, they don't speak English as their first language. Yes. And that is so tricky. And like translators, they're not always the most helpful because no. you can't guarantee they're translating exactly what you said. And exactly. so I find that super hard because like you said, parent report is so key. But then what I often run into is then it's hard to talk with the parents. It's so challenging. There's some times where I have to tell the interpreter, like, literally only say what I say. But then when I say something, they're like, that word doesn't exist in this language. Mm -hmm. Like, right. Yeah. Well, then. <laughs> like, well, now we're in a pickle. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so then there's that. Or when I'm like, okay, can you can you see if you can get him to produce any like let's play let's play and, and tell me everything he's saying um but then I'm like thinking like you said like dang like you're kind of asking you're asking a lot of things I think or like modeling maybe a lot of words and phrases so I don't know how valid that is it's so tricky so do you have any strategies that you find particularly helpful that someone else might be like oh I'm gonna try that hopefully people find this helpful I feel like I'm grasping at straws but usually I'll um I'll ask parents and I'll, I'll have them um, give me examples. So I'll say like, okay, if your child wants something, how do they tell you? Like, what's something that they say? And I'll usually ask for a few examples of that or um, when they're playing with you, you know, what's something that they say? Um, and then I'll ask them like a lot of receptive language stuff. So I really focus on receptive language. So when it's time for bath time and you say, okay, look, it's bath time. Do they know the, that structure? I try to ask them how many words a, a week or a month do you think that they're learning in their native language? You know, like what's that recall? How's those cognitive skill sets working? Because if they're able to learn new words, I'm not as worried. For assessments, that's going to be huge for me. And then if they have any previous SLPs, I always contact them trying to get more information on the progress, the amount of progress. If they're like, oh yeah, like they, they met all their goals like in the first month. And I'm like, okay, that gives me a little bit of a clue that it might be just a difference. Or if they're like, it took a long time, you know, for them to meet like the most basic, like level one goals. And then now 
um, you know, now we're seeing a little bit of a little bit of an explosion. Mm -hmm. So the previous SLP is huge for me. So looking a lot at receptive language, yes. that's key. We're looking at progression, like acquisition of skills and how, what that, what that's looking like for that child. And then contacting previous SLPs. Yeah, that's definitely extremely helpful. That's helpful with all kids. Love a previous SLP report. Yes. Yeah. Like, please. <laughs> yeah. One thing that the owner of my clinic shared with me uh, when I was having some challenges with this earlier on, she told me that a language sample with a video can be really helpful. Wow. And then um, at some clinics, it depends the clinic you're working at, but you can get approval to share that with your colleagues. So if you have colleagues who speak that language, you can review the video together and you can see the language sample that the parents took and they can translate like exactly what it said, not trying to change the meaning or anything. And you yeah. can get a better look at like how they're using it. And I think the video paired with the language sample is great because you can pause it, you can talk about it with yeah. a coworker. Like that was really helpful for me to, to get the parents to get a language sample for me. That is, yeah, I like that. Like we, we do language samples, but the video piece tells, that's a good idea because it tells a lot about the child. I mean, even like the nonverbals yeah. socially too. That's yeah. a good idea. I like that. Yeah. And it's easier for the parents to take because they can take the video and then take the language sample. Like they can then use the video to help them with the language sample. So to make sure they're saying exactly what the child has said. So that can be helpful for parents too. Um, I find, I found that was pretty helpful. One thing that's like obviously like so classic, but like learning the differences between languages. I think it might be Cantonese that has less final consonants. One of my coworkers was telling me that the children who are learning Cantonese and English sometimes will delete the final consonant deletion, but it's not necessarily yes. an error. It's just not that it's just that they haven't learned yet because they're trying to figure out which language needs the consonant, which language doesn't need the consonant. So correct. That is like trying to learn like what yes. are the patterns and then knowing them generally. Yes. Yeah. That, that has helped me a lot too. Asha has um, some really good information on that as well, but yeah, a, a lot of the Asian countries, um, languages like Chinese and Japanese, they don't, they end in vowels. And typically with Japanese, it's every other sound is a consonant. So it's, con it's always consonant, vowel, consonant, vowel. So those consonant clusters that we have, forget about it, <laughs> you know, but that's not, uh, that's not a disorder. That's a difference. So yeah, knowing those um, is definitely key. Also like subject, verb, object, pronouns, like all of those little things. Yeah, it's definitely nice. I, since we do have like such a variety of languages that come in, I have a coworker who has like a binder of just like, just information on different languages. I think on Instagram too, it's been really helpful because like Liliana at the bilingual speechy and then Grace at the speech therapy mom. I mean, I'm learning so much just from this Instagram community. <laughs> Are there any other resources that you would recommend to anyone? Lelio Bilingual Therapy. She's another one. And like sometimes, sometimes it's just a graphic reminder. Like remember, like Spanish speaking babies do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like compared to monolingual. I'm like, yes, yeah. that's right. Or like, just like little reminders like that. Yeah. She's another good one. Lelio Bilingual Therapy. And then okay. your professor. <laughs> Yeah, everyone should tune into those podcasts. So just like to end off some things to keep in mind, like first of all, bilingualism doesn't cause language delay. 
if there is a language delay or disorder, it should be showing up in both languages. Do you have anything else that you would recommend if it's like a new SLP in their first placement or something like that, or maybe a parent, like things that we should just know, like those two I think are important. Those two are, are super important. Um, how they're using language, um, I would say socially too is, an, is another area to kind of really look at. Um, and then I know that like, I feel this immense pressure in this snapshot of moment that I have to make the right call. But I, I also remind myself and I remind the parent, if, if we do side on, I think it's a difference and not a disorder, we can always get reassessed later. Mm -hmm. Like let's work on these three things. And then if it's not, if your child is not progressing, then let's come back and we can get, and we can get an assessment, another assessment at any time, basically. Mm -hmm. So that kind of knowing that and reminding ourselves of that alleviates a little bit of pressure that like, it's not do or die in this moment. Like we can let the child, you know, let the child like live a little bit and, and be themselves and observe them through this like new lens of what I was able to teach the parent based off of the information I'll be able to gather on their language. And then also just like teaching them difference first disorder. All right. So let everyone know where they can find you. You can find me on Instagram at help me grow speech. And then also at YouTube at help me grow speech. Okay, perfect. And make sure to check out the links in my, the description of my bio. And yeah, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. It was fun. This was, and you know what, you guys, like, I might seem a little disorganized today, but sometimes it's just nice to have a chat, okay? When I was an undergrad, I would have loved to listen to two SLPs just have a talk about the things that are going on, and yes. you know what I mean? It's nice. So real life, like, real life. I've been doing this for seven years, and I'm still right here with you. Like, I don't have the answers, you know? Like, we... <laughs> just like we're just trying to figure it out but I think that's also what I love about like our field and also like Instagram is that we're always constantly learning and I haven't I mean maybe it's just the people that like I gravitate towards but I haven't met anyone that's had like a huge ego mm -hmm. and right like and it's just it's so amazing and refreshing and it's just like if you're a new SLP or a new grad or thinking about being an SLP and you're like feeling intimidated girl or boy don't because we are all hot messes and we get it together every once in a while, but like, every once in a while. yeah, every once in a while, but it's okay. It's, it's okay. okay to be hot mess. Honestly, I mean, all the SLPs I met through this podcast and everything are just the nicest people. Right? They're so amazing. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, thanks for coming on. <laughs> I'm going to see everybody next Monday. <laughs> <Goodbye>. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Oh.